Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome the renowned Dr. Helen Caldicott to the show today because so many of us are deeply concerned about the radioactive waste being emitted from Japan and the meltdown that's happening in four nuclear reactors. I want to tell you a little bit about her if you don't know about her. First of all, she has been an anti-nuclear activist and educator for over 38 years and has led an international campaign to educate the public about the medical hazards of the nuclear age. She is a doctor. She founded the Cystic Cybrosis Clinic at the Adelaide Children's Hospital many years ago. She was an instructor in pediatrics at the Harvard Medical School and on staff at the Children's Hospital Medical Center. She co-founded Physicians for Social Responsibility, a marvelous organization of 23,000 doctors committed to educating their colleagues about the dangers of nuclear power, nuclear weapons, and nuclear war. She's written over seven books. She has contributed to so many lectures and educational events, done workshops, and educated people both in front of and behind the scenes. You may have heard of her book, If You Love This Planet, A Plan to Save the Earth, that became very popular all over the world. She also has another book you should pick up called Nuclear Madness. I want you to listen carefully to Dr. Keldicott. I want you to hear the distinctions between alpha and beta, internal emitters, and radiobiology. I want you to be on your toes. We have a short time, and having Helen Keldicott in a short segment is like having a planet move through the eye of a needle. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to welcome Dr. Helen Keldicott to its rainmaking time. Good morning. Thank you. The first thing I'd like to ask you is, do you agree when Michel Koku says that the nuclear reactors, which are in a meltdown state in Japan, should be entombed with sand, boric acid, and concrete, and completely buried. That's how urgent it is. Do you agree with that remedy at this point? Michio knows what he's talking about. He's a very eminent physicist. He developed the string theory, and I've worked with him for years and years, or spoken with him on platforms. Uh, but it's also I've been speaking to a nuclear engineer who said that if you that the reactor cores are still contained in their containment vessels and one keeps getting critical number number one there's been a seventy percent meltdown but it's still going critical and releasing very short-lived isotopes and releasing beams of neutrons which means it's going critical now if you bury those reactor cores and there are six of them, um, in concrete and, and, and boron and lead and the like, it's not going to stop necessarily the reactions within the core itself and the containment vessel. Now, I'm not a nuclear engineer, but that's I spoke to Annie Gunderson, who is, and he pointed that out to me. Uh, but who am I to dispute what Michio says? So really, I'm only a physician, so I'm not really sure. I would like you to give the public a frame of reference why the internal emitters of radiation are so important and why are they being dismissed? Oh, well, they're dis being dismissed by the nuclear industry because they don't know what they're talking about or they're lying, either one or the other. Now, there are five sorts of radiation. There are x-rays, and you've all had x-rays. You mustn't. 
All radiation is cumulative. Each dose you receive adds to your risk of getting cancer. Never have an unnecessary x-ray. Do not have your teeth x-rayed every year because it all adds to the risk. Don't walk through x-ray machines at airports. They're dangerous. Um, they're, they're, they're radiating a whole population of people, which is really unscrupulous medically. Um, then there's gamma radiation given off by radioactive materials such as those at Fukushima. They go straight through your body. They only damage you in that instant that they go through your body. They don't affect you. They don't stay with you or make you radioactive, but they can mutate a gene in your eggs and sperm to cause genetic disease in future generations, or they can mutate a regulatory gene in a cell in the body, and the cell sits quietly for about five to 60 years, the incubation time for cancer, and then one day it goes really mad and divides into trillions of cells, and that's a cancer. So it takes a, you know, a single gene damaged in a single cell to kill you. Now, there's alpha radiation, and that's particulate. Um, it's composed of two protons and two neutrons, which are emitted from an unstable atom like plutonium or like uranium. Plutonium is getting out of these reactors. You can hold plutonium in the palm of your hand, and the alpha particle won't penetrate the, the layers of dead skin in the epidermis to damage living cells. However, because it only travels a short distance. If you inhale plutonium and it goes into your lung, it irradiates a tiny volume of cells which get a huge dose. Most die and those on the periphery survive because they get a lesser dose and they can be mutated, their regulatory gene, to later form cancer. As plutonium is like iron, it is handled like iron by the body and transferred from the lung by macrophages, their white blood cells, to the lymph nodes in the chest where it can induce lymphoma by mutation. It's stored in the liver where it can cause liver cancer. It goes to the bone where hemoglobin is made where it can cause bone cancer or leukemia. It has a predilection for the testicles, so it deposits just next to the cells that form the sperm, the spermatogonia. So it can induce testicular cancer and or genetic diseases that are passed on generation to generation like cystic fibrosis, diabetes, phenylketonuria, and there are 2,600 such diseases now described. Um, and it also crosses the placenta into the developmentally normal embryos where it can kill a cell that's going to form the left arm or the right part of the brain and the like. And that's what thalidomide did when pregnant women took it babies were born being born with no arms or no legs and and the like that's called teratogenesis damage of a normal genetically chromosomally normal fetus i'm talking now about internal emitters that get into your body as compared to external radiation like x-rays and gamma rays then there are beta emitters they're just um electrons emitted from an unstable nucleus. Now, if you swallow or inhale plutonium, strontium-90, cesium-137, radioactive iodine, cerium, technetium, carbon-14, um, tritium, there are, there are 200 radioactive materials in these reactors, some very short-lived and some last millions of years. If you get them in your body, the whole body doesn't get anything, but the cell surrounding that particle, like the plutonium I just described, right? They get a whopping dose of radiation. They're internal emitters. So people, 
in Fukushima, a running run with Geiger counters measuring the gamma radiation, which is being emitted by some of these isotopes. For instance, cesium-137 emits beta, an electron, plus the gamma radiation. I-131, iodine, emits beta and the gamma radiation. So they're measuring only gamma, which is only sort of an estimate of... It's sort of like looking at the skin of a person who's anemic and you can see they're pale, but you haven't looked at their blood picture to see exactly what's going on in their blood or in the bone marrow. You really have no idea. And that's the same thing. And then the industry is downplaying internal emitters and saying they're not... Well, they're not even talking about them. They're talking about the external radiation. So either the industry doesn't know what it's talking about medically, it doesn't understand radiopathology, um, or it's lying. Uh, now, all radiation is cumulative. It is true. Each dose you receive, whether it's from an X-ray or from gamma radiation for the poor people at Fukushima who are trying to save those reactors, or prevent more damage being done, or the people living nearby, or if you ingest or inhale plutonium, or cesium, or strontium, and the like, it all adds to your risk of getting cancer. What do you think about the doctors connected to the nuclear industry that have said whatever's coming in from Japan to the United States is no more than the kind of radiation you would get flying in your plane? Do you believe that? Well, it's not belief. This isn't a belief. It's about science. Now, the radiation you get is cosmic radiation when you fly in a plane, and yes, you do get some. But that's external radiation again. The whole body is getting a very, very low dose of radiation, whereas the materials that are landing in America now and California and Florida and Massachusetts and all over the place, radioactive iodine, if you happen and then these materials bioconcentrate in the food chain. So if iodine lands on the ground, the grass sucks it up and magnifies it 10 to 100 times or more. The cow eats the grass and it's magnified much more in the milk and then a lactating woman might drink the milk and it's magnified much, much more in her milk and as the strontium-90 passes or the iodine passes through her breast, it could mutate cells so later, years later, she gets a breast cancer and then the baby drinks the very radioactive milk because it's been bioconcentrated in the food chain. Therefore, they might just be measuring the radioactive iodine in the water falling in Massachusetts. Well, they are, but then they're not talking about bioconcentration. And if you're unlucky enough to drink some milk and there's a very small amount of iodine in that radioactive and it goes into your gut, is absorbed through your gut into the bloodstream and goes up to your thyroid, a few cells in your thyroid might get a high dose and one of the regulatory genes may be mutated or damaged so later on you develop thyroid cancer. About 53,000 people living around Chernobyl have developed thyroid cancer, uh, particularly when they were young people because children are very, very sensitive, 20, up to 20 times more sensitive than adults to radiation, fetuses thousands of times more. Of those, about 53,000, I'm just a round figure, sure. about 23,000 have died already from their cancers. Uh, probably many more will probably die later. So radioactive iodine is very carcinogenic. There is no safe dose, and they keep, keep saying, well, the levels are safe. There are no safe levels, period. No safe levels of radiation, period.
Helen, I heard this morning that the Japanese government raised the standards of, quote, safe levels of radiation from 6,000 to 100,000. <laughs> oh, my God. Did they? Well, uh, that's just rubbish. It just means that they can't control anything and there are no safe doses. And it makes me extremely annoyed as a physician that they are lying about science. They're lying. And the people, I mean, I suppose they're trying to create calm and they don't want panic. Sorry, people would be panicked, should be panicked. And if I was in Japan, I'd get out. I don't know how. But, um, you know, if there's a really big explosion and huge radiation gets out and the wind blows south, I mean, the whole of Japan could become virtually uninhabitable. I heard in an interview that you did on Democracy Now!, you said 40% of Europe's landmass is still radioactive. Correct, and will be for hundreds of years. Now, that data comes from the New York Academy of Science report on Chernobyl, published in the last six months. Get the report, you can download it and read it. 40% of European landmass is still radioactive. Plutonium lasts for half a million years. How much got... Out. There are 500 pounds of plutonium in the reactor. One third got out. So it's nearly 200 pounds of plutonium. And all you need is a millionth of a gram to give you cancer or maybe a billionth of a gram. It's highly carcinogenic. It's lying all around Europe, concentrating in some food. Cesium-137 lasts 600 years, causes brain cancers, muscle cancers. That's by concentrating in the mushrooms, in the reindeer, the lichen, um, and, and various foods all over Europe. I don't buy European food because I don't know what food is radioactive, you see, because it came down in hot spots with the rain. So you might have a very large field and one corner is very radioactive and the rest isn't, depending upon the rainfall at that time. Is this why people are running around with Geiger counters and is it going to help people to have those? Well, it's interesting. I was just at a conference in Ottawa uh, the other day and uh, Dr. Ian Fairley, who is a radiobiologist, came from London to give a very, very good talk. And he had a, a Geiger counter, a, a measuring counter, and he, as soon as he arrived, you can't measure the radiation inside, but he stuck it out the window of his taxi to see if the ambient levels of radiation were up. You don't know how the wind's blowing, where it's blowing, what it's carrying, but if you look at some maps that are currently being published on YouTube and the internet, you can see this radiation swirling all around the globe. Therefore, if you pick up radiation outside and it's flying by, well, first, you shouldn't grow vegetables this year or for quite a long time, and two, you know, you'd better stay inside until this radioactive cloud passes by. But if you don't know, you, you know, out of sight is out of mind. You can't smell these things. You can't taste them. You can't see them. They're invisible. And it takes a long time to incubate the cancer. And remember, children and babies are so sensitive to radiation. So we are in a pickle. We are in a double bind. Um, if this thing goes on, as is predicted, for months to maybe years, I mean... I have to tell you, it's going to mean, I think, millions of cases of cancer, extra cases of cancer. No cancer denotes its origin. No cancer will say, you were made by some radioactive iodine, you drank in some milk 20 years ago that came from Fukushima. There's a nuclear physicist who has done some YouTube videos that has been 
saying as of yesterday, last night, that the 200 tons of water that has been poured onto the nuclear reactors, what they're doing is something called feed and bleed, where they're really creating radioactive steam, and that water has to go somewhere. It doesn't just sit there. It's actually creating radioactive water, which is going into the ocean. And he's concerned because the levels that they're testing in the ocean are not from the steam. They're from this radioactive water, which is going into the ocean. Most of the people that are looking at this don't really get it. Well, they should. I mean, <laughs> pouring millions of gallons of water into the reactor cores and it's coming out and going to the ocean. Oh, 200 tons. Common sense. But the other thing that's happening is in reactor number one, and Stephen Chu, who's the Secretary of Energy in, in Washington, said that 70% of reactor one has melted. And they keep pouring water in to cool it. But when they pour the water in, 30% of it hasn't melted and it's reaching critical mass, sending up very short-lived radioactive elements that only last maybe minutes. And fluxes of neutrons, which means that the nuclear reaction, it's going critical. The nuclear reaction is continuing. And then the water all boils off and then it stops and then it'll start again. It's called a spurt, S-P-E-R-T, in nuclear physics, in their language. Um, and it could, this sort of thing could heat the rods up very high and it could produce a hydrogen explosion, which is what happened at Chernobyl. So look, we're in no man's land now, absolutely. Now, I want to talk about another devastating topic inside this, because I think that the public really needs to rethink our relationship with nuclear energy. And I want to talk about France for a moment with you. As you know, 80% of their energy is in nuclear power. And they assert they've developed a way to reprocess the waste quote, with great success. You have a whole body of knowledge about why this is very, very scary and dangerous. Why? All right. Well, let me tell you, the French are very ignorant and they're very arrogant. I have a French son-in-law who's a count. His sister is a major commentator and a model, but on TV in France. They don't know anything about this because the government built all the reactors. They've been kept in ignorance. The government runs the whole show. Uh, and also is pretty influential in Le Mans, their main newspaper. So they don't know. Um, they love their food. They're very agrarian. Um, every corner you turn in France, I'm exaggerating, but there are cooling towers. Now, what they want to do is take all their radioactive waste, or some, and if you stand next to one fuel rod, which is half an inch thick and 12 feet long for a couple of seconds, you'll get a lethal dose of radiation and die within two weeks. They're hot thermally hot radioactively, they take them up to a La Hague, which is a reprocessing plant. They chop them up by remote control and they put them in a big vat of concentrated nitric acid and they melt them. Now, that's just a, an incredible toxic witch's brew. And from the 200 isotopes in that nitric acid, they remove plutonium. They precipitate it out using various chemical means with kerosene and other things. Now, there are only two elements that are plutonium-239 and uranium-235. Um, so because you make 500 pounds of plutonium in a reactor every year and you only need 10 pounds, incidentally, to make yourself a bomb, they're extracting the plutonium and they want to put it in reactors called breeders or fast reactors and fission the plutonium. Now, guess what? What? If, 
you lose the cooling water as they did at Fukushima because each reactor needs a million gallons a minute. Or no, they're going to cool it with liquid lead. That's right. Or liquid sodium. That's right. And if there's an accident and it loses its coolant, you're going to have, I don't know, 100 tonnes of plutonium, 10 pounds is critical mass. I mean, that's what you do when you get a nuclear explosion, an atomic bomb. You could not just get a meltdown, but a huge nuclear explosion, the likes of which the world would never have seen before, releasing huge amounts of plutonium when only maybe 10 to the minus 9 grams is carcinogenic, totally polluting the planet and just, you know, I mean, it's almost beyond imagination what that means medically. These are the most dangerous, diabolical machines that man could ever develop they did build one, I think, in Detroit, um, and it melted. There's a book called "We Knit. We Almost Lost Detroit." So things are things are things are grim indeed. And these fellows, they they live in fantasy land. They don't under they don't understand people or radiation biology or they just love these machines. They love. I think some of them, some of them, ha their reptilian midbrain has a toxic reaction to testosterone. I mean, that's only the way I can describe it. What do you think is the relationship between the World Health Organization and their relationship with the IAEA? Well, it's not what I think. At what what the relationship actually is. Um, in 1957 or 59 the International Atomic Energy Agency and the World Health Organization signed a common agreement that the WHO would not be able to investigate any atomic accidents unless the IAEA gave permission. Now, the IAEA, its main task is to promote nuclear power all over the world. So, consequently, the WHO has never examined the implications medically of Chernobyl, but certainly the New York Academy of Sciences has translated 5,000 Russian medical papers and they found nearly 1 million people have died from Chernobyl and that's just the beginning. People are going to continue to die over the centuries from cancer and congenital deformities and genetic disease. I mean, this is really hideous. This is the biggest medical conspiracy cover-up in the history of medicine and these people should be tried a la Nuremberg Trials. Do you think that any of this connects to the UN in any way or there's some relationship? Well, the UN agencies, the United Nations agencies, the IAEA and the World Health Organization. So then how can we trust, quote, science consensus on anything Well, anymore? no, wait a minute. Let's talk about global warming. The majority of meteorological scientists in the world totally agree that global warming is occurring. There is consensus. Absolutely. Um, the physicists don't know any medicine and they live in a fantasy land of, you know, splitting the atom and E equals MC squared and tremendous power and force. Um, there are huge areas of science. I mean, I can't even keep up with my own area of cystic fibrosis, let alone the pediatric literature, literature. So just because you're a scientist doesn't mean to say you know all about science. Correct. You about the particular area of science you're talking about. If consensus in the scientific realm is funded 
by governments and big companies and agencies that are in cahoots with each other. How do we trust consensus science in general? Well, you can't trust those agencies. Look, you're intelligent. You've got a critical brain. You can practice critical thinking, read everything and work it out for yourself. Some is dross, some is rubbish, some is pure science. You can work that out. You can't just blindly trust anyone. You can't trust anyone. You have to use your knowledge, your wisdom, your intuition, but particularly your power of critical thinking to work it out yourself. Asking you if you would like to say any final comments to the audience today. Yes, my final comments in this interview are this accident is the most grotesque catastrophe that really has ever happened on the face of the planet. It will mean epidemics of cancer, genetic disease and deformed babies probably for the rest of time, maybe in circumlocculated areas in Japan, but maybe across the globe, depending upon how the accident proceeds. The air masses at the equator don't mix, so it will, all the fallout will land in the northern hemisphere. I predict that this will mean the end of nuclear power and the end of uranium mining. I hope to God it then reflects upon nuclear weapons because Obama is now spending $85 billion to build more new nuclear weapons. So we're in an age of nuclear psychosis, and it's time it ended. Time it ended. Um, I commissioned a study called Carbon-Free Nuclear-Free. By 2040, America could be carbon-free, nuclear-free, and get all its energy it needs from renewable sources. Look it up on the web. Go to ieer.org. Also, if you want more information about what I've been talking about, go to my webpage called nuclearfreeplanet.org. And uh, maybe if you went to my homepage, helencaldicott.com, you'll find all the big books I've written. Final comment. Jefferson said, an informed democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. Inform yourselves. Take responsibility. And someone else said, the only way evil flourishes is for good people to do nothing. Don't let nuclear evil flourish. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Helen Caldicott. It was a pleasure listening, learning, and talking with you. Many blessings. Thank you very much.